I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Hey everybody, it's your friendly Tuesday host Craig Custance joined by my traveling mate Sean Gentilly. (laughs) It's been a while since that one buddy. It's been a while since we traveled together is what I'm saying. It's. I, I know what you meant, Sean. I don't think you were you paying attention to me. It's been a long Jeez. week. We've seen, okay. we've seen a lot of each other. <laughs> we've seen a lot. Can you tell the bickering? <laughs> we uh, we spent last week at the NHL GMs meetings uh, in in. We were in Boynton Beach because we couldn't afford to stay at the the resort the That's NHL right. GMs were staying at. Um, and so I'm sure we'll get into some of that. Our second segment uh, is we were joined by Katie Strang, who with Haley Salvian wrote, and I'm assuming everybody's read this, but if you haven't, the Harvard women's hockey story, um, you know, the the Katie Stone story that got into some of the hazing and the traditions and just a mess there. And, you know, the the news emerging yesterday, uh, Monday, that that Harvard has hired Jenner and Block to investigate. So... Things are happening there. Yes, Katie there's was been a real change. It's been affected by, yeah. by, uh, by, by those by great by reporting work. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, that's, that's going to be the meat of this podcast because that just ended up being a great conversation. Feel free to skip ahead to that if you'd like. <laughs> totally. um, but please, or hit like, put us on like times three. Sean, I just want to say, I don't think we... The fact that we both traveled to the GMs, we didn't coordinate the travel that much aside from like, hey, where are you staying? And that mm-hmm. you were my adjoining room. I've had a lot of time to think about that. And I. it seems like too much of a coincidence. How, did I, did, how did, did that I call happen? Why were you knocking ask, on the door between it? Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> did, I, did I grease some palms to make this happen? You checked in before I did, actually. Maybe this I'm was you. I'm going to assume name, too. <laughs> I know all your aliases, yeah. brother. Yeah, we stayed in an adjoining room. Um. What we were coming back, <laughs> we got dinner together. I checked the first, in as uh, Craigie America, and as my assumed name, it's uh, Greg Gustins. Actually, we, uh, <laughs> we we came back from dinner on on the first night, one of the two dinners we had together, and 
Mm-hmm. I'll cut off on the second floor and walk down room 206 and room 208, baby. What a special and time. I know the producer Jeff is thinking, why don't you just record a podcast or a segment or three so he doesn't have to do all the work he has to do. Ah, but we're busy. We, just, we, we gave each other a proper space, I thought. A lot of boundaries. We gave each other space and, and also and also uh, producer Jeff was on vacation at a wonderful yeah. undisclosed location. So, we didn't want to bother, bother him with anything. We wouldn't talk. To, like I'm, I'm very done talking about the GM meetings, by the way. Don't ask me anything about Did that. you? Uh, we can't talk about anything? How many times? I like, mean, you, Russo, you and Russo had a story today about the uh, fighting after clean hits. I love that topic. Yeah, it's really topic, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I, I think people do care about it. Like people yeah. are like, oh, they got to an answer. And I, I, I tweeted that story out this morning. And people were like, hey, that's fine and good. But how do we know what a clean hit is in the moment? And I'm like, yeah, that's probably. That's it. Honestly, that's that, was, that okay was kind of the problem. Defense. We uh, Russo. So we, he and I have written a bunch of stuff come out of the GM meetings. Most of it has been published. We still have one thing that we're going to do where we did some reporting down there that's going to, that, that has yet to be written and yet to be published, but done a lot, collaborated on most of it. Russo held the pen on that one. He wrote and he wrote, he wrote the majority of it. And of course, like whatever, it's Russo, it's the wild. They have like one of the main, uh, I don't want to say perpetrators, but one of the faces of of this concept that you know that, that there are fights after clean hits constantly, whatever. And Matt Dumba, so of course Russo led with a Matt Dumb with a, with a Matt Dumba hit from a couple months ago when he hit somebody clean, yeah. had a fight over. I think Svechnikov was maybe involved with it. Great, like of course that was the lead. Then he in, in micro this on Saturday. I think, I think is, is when he finished it on Sunday or, or, or Monday. What I, I, at some point between my, between the time that Mike wrote his first lead about Matt Dumba fighting after a clean hit, Matt Dumba fought after another clean hit. And I think it was on, I think it was on Sunday. So he just like reworked it and kind of tweaked it and, and made it apply to, to the other incident that happened. Cause this is something that happens to Matt, Matt Dumba, Dumba to specifically like, Daily, almost. <laughs> maybe every day, uh, thousands of times, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, it is. It's funny, and it's and it is, it is a real. It, it's a problem. Um, GMs hate it. Their main issue with it is mm-hmm. that, or their main solution for it is not necessarily uh, falling back on the instigator or calling the instigator more necessarily, which I think was kind of one of the surprises to come out of the discussions that we had with with those guys. Um. As long as they get a power play out of it, they're cool. That's basically what it boils down to. So they're saying whatever mechanism it takes, whether you call roughing or in sportsmanlike conduct or in certain instances, the instigator, like whatever that may be, if the end result is that the team that has the player who delivers the clean hit and then gets jumped after it or is, or whatever is forced to fight, as long as they have a power play coming out of it, like they're cool. They're not worried. They're not worried about I think that's okay. About where it comes from, which I think is fine, which is fine. And it was also yeah. a little bit of a surprise because like my, my question was like, you know, you hear about this and you say like, okay, well, isn't the easiest solution for that just calling the instigator? And like, maybe it is, but that's also for better or worse, whether you agree with it or not, that is not a route that GMs want to go down all that often because it puts players out of commission for 17 minutes, right? Cause they, cause they have the, right. they have the minor, they have the major and then they have the misconduct. So 
whatever route we take, I guess, to, to that end where, you know, where players are actually penalized for starting something with, you know, with a guy after a clean hit, they're, they're fine with. So, and I think that's like kind of the through line for the, for the, for the piece, but, you know, actually act, taking that principle and actually applying it are kind of two different things. Big news today. This is great news for those in the, um, it, that like to buy jerseys and, and uh, anything to wear from their favorite teams. Ten-year deal between the NHL and Fanatics. Great news. Great, great news. Do you work for Fanatics now? I love Fanatics. Yeah. Have you ever bought anything from Fanatics? That? I have. So I, I'll come clean. I haven't. I have yeah. never bought anything from Fanatics. Well, but I'm my, sure it's a great. Well, my great column company, on the topic has just gone live. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, dude. Fanatics sucks. I have some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> their product's terrible most people don't mm. like it and they're mm. now locked into a 10-year deal with the nhl to be their <laughs> official on ice uh uniform supplier which is you know the repercussions of that for players like they're they're gonna get that right the odds that these guys are wearing you know stuff that whatever irritates their skin i guess it's it's probably not gonna happen though i will say i will say when adidas was still making um nba uniforms this is whatever 10 years ago at this point almost they made the ones with sleeves and players hated Mm -hmm. them because the sleeves were Mm -hmm. restricted or whatever and you have Adidas spends like a gazillion dollars, huge, huge marketing budget, you know, makes a big deal out of like, hey, you can wear hoop jerseys with, with sleeves now. Buy them, you know, at the, <laughs> the official NBA store run by Fanatics, by the way. Players hated them. And LeBron James at one point tore the sleeves off the jerseys on the court. So, like, it's not out mm-hmm. of the realm of possibility that something happens that players like freak out and rebel over. It's happened recently in, in professional sports. Um... So whatever, like there's going to be an F logo on the back of NHL jerseys and they're going to, so it's pr- probably not that much is going to change for players. It's just a reminder of how shit this product is for people, for people who've bought it, who've bought fanatic jerseys because they hate them because they're cheap and fall apart despite being $300 or $140 for the, for the replica one. They stink. People are upset about this. There's like people yeah. who are really upset about this. Because again, they're spending hundreds of dollars on a garment and and it and the quality is not is not what they expect. It the the, the fa- they're cheap, the fabric fades, washing them is tough, letters peel off, mm. like mm-hmm. it's not good stuff. I bought like the lead of my column is about a t-shirt that I bought from there that I hate it. <laughs> I I hate fanatics. <laughs> I'm mad. Uh, that's so good. it and it's in, um, and from a business yeah. standpoint, it's interesting too because Fanatics is like this. All of a sudden, it's this like omnipresent, you know, company that's trying to turn itself into the Amazon of sports openly because you know it's like Amazon started with books, Fanatics started with right. T-shirts and and baseball caps and whatever, and now they're moving into other spaces. Whether it's Fanatics with gambling or sports cards or whatever, they're you know, they have a ton. They have a ton of funding raised. Two billion dollars last year, so they're not going away anytime soon, right? The issue is that it's a shitty experience for consumers. It's almost the only. It's now functionally the only the only place that you can buy NHL jerseys, and people are not satisfied with with the experience, top to bottom, whether it's the price they pay or the way this stuff fits, the customer service experience or whatever. People generally don't like it. 
And again, this is the company that the league has signed a 10-year deal with, by the, by the way. So we'll see what happens with that. Is there any, like, because Fanatics, I think a year ago, bought Tops. So, like you said, it started out, hey, they're doing hats or whatever. It, I don't think it's great for fans if one company kind of controls everything fans are into buying. There's yeah. there's a kind of a monopoly aspect to it where you're like, I don't know. Like, if, you, if it's not good, all of a sudden, everything you like about kind of the periphery of sports and pur- purchasing things becomes a negative experience if it's not, if, if you're not careful. Because one totally. company and controls it's, it And all. it is. And for better or worse, it's also similar, like... They say this is like a positive thing and in a business sense it is because God knows Amazon is, you know, a 10,000 pound gorilla like globally, but they say the Amazon is sports like it's a good thing and that's, and it's not necessarily like not from, from, for any number of reasons, right? Whether it's Amazon's treatment of, treatment of it, of its, of its warehouse workers or whatever, that sucks. Like that, that's not something you should want to openly compare yourself to, but from a more functional level when it comes to you know, the product that Fanatics is pushing is like, do you really like shopping on Amazon now in 2023? Like, do you feel like that serves you well and you get good stuff and it's in it's like in, in it's and you get what you need wise. from a quality standpoint, from an experience standpoint, it comes quickly. It's fast. It's fast. It's fast. It's a lot it's different. It. It's a lot different to get like to pay $5.99 for a shower curtain because you need one and have it arrive in two days or whatever. And you're like, ah, it's kind of cheap, like whatever that right. principle should not apply to a $300 Colorado avalanche Jersey. And it does. And people are worse off for it. And they're mad. They don't like this company. They don't like its products. It's something that they use because it's omnipresent and just, and they've done a good job of getting licenses and producing product quickly. That's basically it. So that's that's why they are where they are. And, and people generally are either neutral on it or actively dislike it because they've gotten junk from there. Some have been calling us the Amazon of hockey podcasts. I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> Bring us to today's sponsor of the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I want your thoughts on the pirate or pirates. Oh my gosh. I do want no, your, not, th- your they, thoughts on the pirates for sure. Not that bad. Not good. good God. Um, the Penguins, but we might have to save that for segment three because I don't want to put off this conversation yeah. with Katie because nope, it was so good and yep. important. So let's let's just get to that. And if you want to stick around with Sean and I as we kind of maybe – the Florida Panthers making making some noise. The, waiting the Penguins for are a bit it's of a mess. Yep. America's team, the Jets, just since about the moment we adopted them, have kind Oops. of fallen apart. <laughs> America's original team, the Flames, probably get in I'm, maybe at this point. Um, so we'll get to, to all that in segment three, potentially. Maybe we won't. I can't make any promises. But <laughs> coming up next, Katie Strang uh, in, in a great conversation about the Harvard story and Katie Stone. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are now happy to be joined by Katie Strang. Oh, Katie, first of all, it's been way too long since you've been on the podcast. Oh, long time. Like a long time. Uh, I just wish you would write something notable or wor- worthy of uh, a conversation on the Athletic Hockey Show occasionally. 
that would be helpful. Um, if you haven't read it yet, listener, Katie and Haley Salvian wrote an incredible story on the Harvard women's hockey team. Um, Coach Katie Stone, the hazing, the, there's the, the culture, the weirdness. There's so much weirdness around that story, which I, I want to get into. Um, but first, as tends to happen after Katie files something, there's a follow-up investigation. Uh, news emerged yesterday, I believe, that Harvard has hired law firm Jenner and Block to conduct a review of its women hockey program. Um, a lot going on, Katie. So, first of all, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, and just to, you know, pump the tires of my co-author on this piece, Haley Salvian was such a force in reporting this. Mm. Um, and so essential, I think, to our understanding of so much of like the context of this piece. She has such a good reputation in the hockey world. Um, I could not have done this story without her. So shout out to Haley Salvian. Um, but yeah, so significant development on Monday in that, um, you know, about a week and a half after our initial story dropped, um, we learned that Harvard had hired uh, a, a pretty prominent, you know, white shoe law firm out of Chicago, Jenner and Block, to conduct uh, an investigation into concerns within the program. Um, this follows, you know, our story, which, you know, contained allegations of, you know, an abundance of different types of misconduct. So hazing, insensitivity to, you know, mental health issues, mishandling injuries, um, just, you know, I, what I would categorize as like verbal and emotional abuse, mental manipulation, um, and just like a, a pretty general um, toxic environment within the team culture. Yeah. So I, I think what struck me about the follow-up news, and we'll get into the, the meat of the original story in a second, but I, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I thought we already investigated this, Harvard. And, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, hey, maybe that first crack at it wasn't so thorough, apparently. Yeah. And I, I actually talked to um, a hazing expert on that uh -huh. who um, used to serve, in fact, as a faculty athlete representative. And he talked about, you know, the impropriety essentially of conducting um a review in that fashion right like there's there's no buffer between the institution um and the investigation now they were they were very reticent to call it um an investigation they called it you know conversations um in a review but i mean you know certainly talking to players that participated in that that was a concern for them that you know it was it was difficult for them to feel like they could speak freely and open up and be honest without you know this ever-present fear of reprisal and retribution um so you know I, I think yeah harvard took a crack at it in that fashion i don't think that that review was sufficient um and so now i don't think it's any huge surprise that you know they're resorting to a much more robust probe up the program with an outside firm. This is like maybe kind of a basic question, but it's something that stuck with me, especially reading your story and, you know, seeing how it's kind of unfolded over the last month or, or, or however long. What is it about Katie Stone that's given her cover 
for 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 the for these actions like why why has the response not not just to your story mm-hmm. but previously why has the response why do you think the response from Harvard has been so muted because these are things whether it's hazing you know the what certainly seems like emotional abuse total lack of success on ice in the in the in the recent the recent past what is it about her that's given her cover over the last however many years because because it's it's hard it's from the outside it's hard to see like what's the draw why does anybody like her yeah that's a really good question um and i think there are layers to that answer you know she has underwhelmed in terms of on ice success recently, but, you know, there were times, um, especially early on where, you know, she was a successful coach, um, and someone who was really adept at leveraging the school's, you know, academic pedigree and its deep source of alumni, um, to entice some of the top players at the school, you know, when she came on the scene and she was hired in 94, like Harvard was not this, you know, hockey juggernaut. Like it wasn't a powerhouse. Like that was still like, you know, the domain of like UNH and Northeastern. And she really like thrust them into prominence. So, I mean, historically, like she did have success. Um, And then I think, you know, part of it is almost like inertia. Like there's, there's like this sense of like, institutional continuity with her that she has been the personification of that the embodiment of harvard hockey for so long that harvard hockey has sort of been you know enmeshed inextricably linked with katie stone and her personality um so you know and then i think the other thing is um you know, she, she hasn't, from my understanding in our reporting, I, I don't think she takes on nearly as an active role in recruiting as she did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, but she has done a very skillful job at, you know, developing this like very robust, powerful group of, you know, alumni in a, in a network Um of people who support her and support the program, um, both, you know, just um, in ways financial and otherwise. And so I think she has a lot of people and remember that, you know, a lot of these alumni, um, they're, you know, really outstanding, like professionals, like they're at the top of their field in medicine, finance, um, you know, athletics. And, and so I think she has a lot of powerful people willing to go to the mat for her and vouch for her. And that's given her power. Hmm. And she, she is, by the way, I mean, like I, I didn't, on ice, she's and part of this because she's been there for so long, but she is the all time leader and wins in women's collegiate hockey. So I, I, didn't mean to make it out like there's been like any real, tr- any true like long term lack of success, but yeah, it's it's uh it is it's it's fun it's funky to see like oh, she's six and thirteen this year she's been like under five hundred a bunch in the past she's got horrific allegations of all sorts of abuse like 
cre- credibly, <laughs> credibly levied against her for months. Like, and I do think, and I do think it's important to like realize that you know on ice performance doesn't happen in mm-hmm. a vacuum. In fact, you know I don't think we should be compartmentalizing the off ice allegations with the on ice right. performance because you know players have told us that essentially like part of the reason that teams fall apart down the stretch is that there's like such there's this underlying undercurrent of tension in toxicity within Uh. the room. So players are like pitted against each other or they're, there's like some of these really toxic dynamics that really impacts the on ice performance. And so when they fade down the stretch, like, you know, people have said that that there's, there's that's tied into some of the off ice concerns. I like that the underlying part of your question, Sean, is you can almost tolerate this if they were 20 and 3, but 5 and 19, I don't know. I'm out. We've seen, I mean, but that's typically the way it goes with abusive coaches is that if the results are there, they're tolerated. It's true. It's it's not, it's not, is it right? Of course not. But when the results start to dip is when there's institutional pressure tends to be internalized pressure whether it's from alumni or from the athletic director or from the president or from somebody other than the players to make a change and that to me is what's like that there's a lot of things that differentiate this from normal allegations of like uh, of of you know the kind of of this of this type you know you don't see you don't see everyday coaches comp- <laughs> the programs compared to running the Stanford prison experiment, which is, which is, which is just a evocative mind boggling quote right. from, from one of the players you, you, you two, you two spoke to, but there's something about this and something about the, and this is kind of what I was, what, what I was getting at. And I think you laid it out there. There's something about the university response to this that is so different and so far apart from even things that, from things that we've seen in recent history when it comes to allegations like this the rallying behind her is the part that is wild to me and we've seen especially in the last 10 years as we've seen more and more coaches lose their job for for with who are for allegations that are far less serious than the ones that she's facing that's what's mm-hmm. just that's what's that's what's endlessly been crazy to me you know for as as I've watched this kind of unfold in, in, in your work so one thing that I'm not as surprised about is like whenever I, you know, report on situations that involve allegations of abuse, invariably, like the first star story involves, um, you know, the perpetrator, you know, alleged victims, um, you know, the incidents in question, etc. And almost always like the, the second story, or the subsequent stories uh, hone in on sort of like the institutional protectionism. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not ever really surprised when a university prioritize reputational protection over, you know, the well-being of players. And I hope that will not be the case here. I think them you know, hiring an outside law firm to investigate that is an important first step. However, there's a lot about this investigation 
that is unclear at this point. For example, I have asked Harvard, do you pledge to make the findings of this report public? Transparency is a key component to any like robust investigation um, in terms of its credibility and potential impact. I have asked like, what is the scope that you task Jenner and Block with investigating? You know, I want to know if it's going to be super narrow. Like, are you, are you just looking into hazing? Are you just looking into hazing within the past year? Are you looking into the broader constellation of concerns and allegations that are included in our story? Are you going to be reaching out to former players? If former players reach out to you, are you willing to interview them? What sort of confidentiality are you going to provide potential whistleblowers in this situation? Which that's what a lot of people like. That's the dynamic that people are facing. Um, another big question for me is Katie Stone going to be required to participate in this investigation? Is athletic director Aaron McDermott going to be required to participate in this investigation? I, I think those are really key components. We have asked Harvard to provide clarity on those ends and we got a no comment yeah we should say like just straight away but before we get any further into this if the name jenner and block sounds familiar to any hockey fans out there they are the firm that uh put together the report on the chicago blackhawks internal failures when it came to the uh the alleged abuse by uh by brad eldridge against against Kyle Beach. So that's that's where you've heard Jenner and Blanc before. Um, it resulted in a $2 million it, fine. Yes. And, you know, people resigning and, you know, real there were real, real consequences. Real, real, con- and, and real consequences. Yeah. And like what you said, Katie, it started out as, hey, well, here's the story of the victim. And then it became, here's the story of how the organization tried to protect itself. And that's exactly, yeah. you're exactly like that, you know, the Blackhawks, there is a, a parallel there. You said th- there was two things you said that struck me. Like one, the, the idea of dividing a team, like a dividing a team as a mental way to, I guess, gain control over the room, and, and it is is a really bizarre way to operate. It does, it's not even effective. Like I would like mm-hmm. to know where at, at uh, what point do you go actually, if I can turn yep, the players against each other, we're going to win a ton of games. Like uh, again, th- th- that's really bizarre to me. And then you touched on the alumni. This to me, I wanted to read a whole story on the alumni. Yep. Can we just talk about the black dresses and the sunglasses and the weird normal, normal person stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let, let me unpack both of those yeah. things. Sorry, um, that's a lot there. Wait, remind me of what the first thing was. Sorry. Just dividing the team in half so you can oh, try to yeah, win games right. as so, a as a yeah, strategy. And, you know, it's interesting because you know. One thing, let me say this, like, you know, I primarily, you know, my entire job is essentially to cover like abuse and misconduct in sports. I I deal a lot in like sexual abuse and like some really heavy, gnarly, difficult stuff, um, which is not to say that I'm desensitized to it because I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can, but I, I can, am, I can, conf- you know, I can, I can I deal confirm with- that you are, you are not desensitized to it, no. Um, But I deal with it a lot. And what I can tell you and what Haley would tell you is that we were blown away by both the scope and the scale of the trauma that we encountered when reporting this story. Um, You know, stuff that like, you know, just hits so hard for so many people, people grappling with, you know, like 
repressed trauma or non-repressed trauma, like over decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, you know, want to underscore just like the depth of this issue. Like, you know, I have heard people sort of try to like, you know, undermine some of these players' concerns and, you know, paint them as like, you know, whiny players that didn't get enough playing time and didn't get their way. Like there was not, you know, we, we have now talked to over three dozen like people, players within the program, people associated with the program. There was not one person that like said Katie Stone was too tough. No one's bitching about like being bag skated. No one's saying she's yelling too much. What, what I would say impacted players the most, um, you know, for some players, like the hazing was really traumatic. But what I would say was more universal was the low grade, everyday incremental death by a thousand cuts, microaggressions, and toxicity. Mm-hmm. I think that's because it was harder to identify. It took on a more amorphous shape there's more ambiguity there's more gray we really tried to show the spectrum of like escalation in some of these behaviors so that people could understand like it it doesn't just start out like you get thrown into a team and you're just like being terrorized or tormented like that that it happens very gradually and incrementally and then all of a sudden you're in this like full-blown you know what some people describe as like the stanford prison experiment where you feel like your every move is being controlled and monitored and every weakness and insecurity that you have is being weaponized against you and it is like such a destabilizing force that you have a fundamental loss of like your own identity and it makes you like doubt your own instincts it makes you think that this behavior is normal it makes you think that to be a part of this team, you must accept this type of behavior. So I, I have never seen like a, this element of like control within a team, like down to the most absurd minutiae. Um, and then Craig, I'm super glad that you brought up the alumni because I was so disturbed by the fact that, you know, in a lot of these hazing incidents and initiation nights alumni like professional working professionals grown women come back to participate in behavior that i think a lot of the people that talk to us would describe as degrading humiliating and dehumanizing like that to me was so profoundly distressing and disturbing to learn and i think it tells you a lot about the culture of the program and what is deemed acceptable and how deep some of this behavior runs. Um, And we're still trying to unpack that, you know, and and we really wanted to write about the culture of hazing in the context of, you know, these girls and women are part of a program where many of them have, you know, talked about how deeply like distressing, problematic, toxic it was. And so, you know, these factions form, players are pitted against each other. They're, you know, some of the players that are in her favor are being deputized to 
you know, fairy information about the latter groups that are not in her favor and like, you know, provide morsels of information and like a lot of stuff that I felt like really like psychological um, abuse, you know, I think is how a lot of people would describe it. Um, so, you know, to, when you're in it, I think it's really hard to see how potentially problematic the behavior is. And we had a lot of those conversations with people where they'd like start talking about it. And then like, you know, we'd be like kind of shocked by what they'd Mm -hmm. say. And then they'd be like, is that weird? And we'd be like, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. yeah, that's super weird. I've never heard something yeah. like that before. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show you like that, you know, when you're in it, I think it's really hard to recognize. And so what I think we have is like a pretty significant group of players who have like come through that program who are grappling with what they endured and like, forming different relationships with their experience there now that they have a bit more perspective and distance from being in it. Mm -hmm. I think you definitely answered part of this already, but the naked skate specifically, why is that? I, I think that's central to understanding the culture here and in the, in the story you guys wrote about it. And I, I mean, it's you, you wrote it, it's your work. Why do you, why do you think that's kind of part of the bulwark here for both the story and, and, and also, and also the program and the environment that she, that she's created there? Sure. Um, well, one, I think it's, it's a really important like symbolic thing to understand that, traditions were really prioritized in this culture and the continuation of traditions like alumni felt deeply invested that the traditions that they helped form and you know carry out were continued Mm -hmm. and someone described it to me as that that was katie stone's power Hmm. that she was able to provide like a bridge between players of decades past to players, you know, present with shared experience. Now I want to make it clear. We have not reported on any direct evidence that she directed any of this behavior or, you know, condoned this behavior or participated But what I mean is like culturally speaking in a more global fashion, you know, tradition and the like continuation of tradition was a main feature of this program. And Naked Skate was one of those things that, you know, we have talked to people that played 25 years ago that did this, that they're still doing this. And to be clear and to be fair, you know, there are plenty of people who thought it was fun thought it was innocuous, thought it was benign, um, were apathetic towards it. There are a number of people who felt differently. And, you know, there were some people who said, I had the option not to do it. I sat out. Um, but hazing actually, you know, I've talked to some hazing experts and they've said like, um, 
hazing is not dictated by whether or not the upperclassmen also participate. And it's also not dictated by whether or not the participation was voluntary because in a team dynamic like that, the peer pressure is often so significant that it serves as like a coercive quality and that, you know, the fear of being ostracized and shunned um, and alienated from your teammates plays such a mitigating factor in participation. Um, And, you know, I think one of the things that we felt it was important to signify also was a level of institutional hubris. I mean, there, so one day after the Boston Globe, which did a great job breaking the story out into the open, by the way, Bob Holler's a fantastic investigative writer. One day after that story ran, and by the way, that story did contain allegations of hazing within the program, they did a naked skate. And, you know, one player became very upset. Um, the coaching staff was notified and they, you know, essentially told the team, this is not a sanctioned or per- permissible um, activity. So I think it goes to show you that like one, these traditions are so firmly entrenched and there are so many people that feel so deeply invested in seeing them continue that I don't think there's a ton of introspection about the potential harm that it may cause. And I think there is such a level of institutional hubris that, you know, they're not, being forced to really reckon with some of these things that may have been acceptable or not heavily scrutinized in decades past, but are no longer considered acceptable. And also like down the list, as far as, you know, institutional hubris is concerned, that this is like textbook NCAA, uh, this is hazing. Like this is like, this is definitionally hazing based on based on the NCAA's own standards in that it's 100% and also it's it's hazing's illegal that's in the state what of I'm saying like, like this is this is this is an act that's illegal in the state and it's prohibited by the NCAA and there have been serious serious uh repercussions and sanctions placed on teams for doing stuff like this in that it's still yeah. you know signed off in a meaningful way by people associated with that, with the program. One, I wanted to highlight something you said, Katie, uh, be, and this is maybe just a comment, not a question, but you talked about death by a thousand cuts and we've talked about this, but I, I appreciated how you laid it all out there, even in a way that you knew would open yourself up for criticism, you and Haley, like, here's the things that the coach did. And if you read it, sometimes you're like, oh, she was asking what they were eating. Yep. It's, that's a coach that cares about the player's diet. And she she wanted them there 10 minutes early. I, hey, I like that. I want my team to be prompt. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I think it would have been easy just to have been like, hey, naked skates and, and whatever. But then you just start to add it up. Like, I, just, it's the most. I, exp- I would be curious. You know, It's the most effective illustration of like the danger of microaggressions that I can remember reading. Mm. because those things like Craig said taken out of context taken in a vacuum hearing that you know she said she did thing A or did or did thing B it's easy to 
even if you're even if you're acting in good faith, if you're not a person who's coming into this like looking like looking for you know looking for problems, you can see that and think like okay, like that sucks. But you know you, you're, you're divorced from context. You know maybe maybe to understand it, and that to me is of this of this story's many successes. That's at the top of the list. Is is kind of in a TikTok almost sort of way, you get the sense of like the erosion of the sense of self, honestly, for, 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 for a lot of, for a lot of these girls. So, and that's not a question that is absolutely just, a comment. <laughs> but, but it's, that's a tough thing to get across, I think in coverage like this, because mm-hmm. people hear microaggressions, they hear that term and they automatically, especially, especially like bad faith actors, then snowflakes is, is not going to be far behind. Right. Like that's just, that's like the trigger word for the, for those, for those kind of people. And it's tough to, uh, illustrate that effectively sometimes, and I think you guys manage that in the in the in the space you took. Well, thank you. I mean, that credit to our editor George Dorman, who's like brilliant in helping you know guide us and shepherd us through these stories. I mean, that was certainly a central focus for him. Like, like I said, we 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 felt like you know showing the more egregious examples. Um, were was important but also like the banalities as well in trying to show like the spectrum of how behavior escalates till it you know becomes this environment that is so all-consuming um that you know for some players they had to you know i i I, listen i do think that some players had really positive experiences i do um we've heard from multiple and i believe them that they had positive experiences and i'm happy for those people that did but there are many people who did not um and you know i think for a lot of people they just had felt like they had to survive and then i think there were some people who did the risk calculus in their head and thought i i can't survive actually in the context of this team and as a result they left and which is part of why, you know, we, we did focus on the attrition and especially recently that, you know, there have been a number of players who've walked away and we certainly talked to a number of players that felt like it was necessary to walk away to preserve their own mental health that, you know, m- multiple players said they had to take a year off of school to focus on their mental health. I mean, multiple players discussed, you know, dealing with and grappling with um potential self-harm and you know you know to everyone that thinks like that again that this is just um a few players who can't take healthy criticism this is not that it also and also like as far as the hazing stuff is concerned like there's i mean of course there are people that are okay with it that's what makes it hazing that's what hazing is. It it creates and it creates another group of people that you know it 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 warps people's you know like uh, uh, barometers on that sort of stuff, and then they do it again, and it and it and it and it continues. So one fascinating conversation I had with a hazing expert, which was illuminating and su- but also surprised me, was she was like, "Oh yeah, actually, alumni participation in hazing is quite frequent, especially like in the in the Greek." Um, context and she's like 
you know, when, especially like in a, in a sorority or a finals club or a team setting, like so much of your identity is, you know, entrenched in terms of your participation with that group. So like, you know, you feel you have had something done to you and then you have probably at one point of this cycle been a bystander and then perhaps at one point of this cycle you've been a perpetrator and you feel like it is your duty to pass this along um and that you know whenever we hear talk of like you know family or like team first that you know that that signifies that the the sense of community is sort of central to this idea, this idea of belonging, that these are my people, this is my tribe, this is my culture, it is, it is incumbent upon me to make sure that, you know, all these traditions and costumes of that community continue. And so in that context, um, alumni participation perhaps shouldn't be particularly surprising mm-hmm. however i still find it and like i mean i was gobsmacked by it is there anything else about the story that you want people to understand that you know that maybe as it's surfaced and been circulated and been talked about or commented on like that this jumped out you'd be like hey you know i want you to realize this i mean it's i you know we try to report every story with nuance and so I think there are a number of people who had really positive experience with this program. And I I know that there are a number of people who had negative experiences with the program. I think there's a number of people who had positive experiences, but have the depth of understanding that other people's did not. Um, But I, I, I guess, you know, there, one of the hurdles for us in reporting the story was, people are scared of speaking about this because their fear of retribution and reprisal. And I think to some degree, you know, I don't think anyone's scared of like Katie Stone knocking on their door or calling them up. I think there's some people that are, you know, scared of, you know, potential, you know, Harvard's a powerful institution. And so I think some people are scared of that potential ramification. But I would say by and large, one thing that has struck me is that I think there's this fear of like being excommunicated by people that were your friends and teammates. I think the f- real fear is that like you're cut off from a lifeline of your community. And so I do think we're seeing like real division there right now. I think there are some people who are really reflecting on their experiences and being open-minded and listening to others. I think there are some that are not. Um, and I would just caution people, you know, to remember that, you know, what we have encountered here is a great deal of harm and trauma and suffering. And maybe, the, you know, some people have said, I think that's a minority. But to me, it's like, well, how many do you need? Yeah. What's how many is OK in that scenario? How many is OK? 
if somebody's listening and they wanted to reach out to you and say and share their story, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, um, email uh, Katie at theathletic.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Um, it would, Haley has, I think, her contact info as well. But, you know, we, we are pursuing follow-up stories on this. There's a lot there to unpack um, and we plan to keep going as long as we need. Well, thanks for joining us, Katie. Thanks for your great work on the story. All the, all the work you're doing constantly. It's, it's, I mean, it's incredible. Me just an incredible story, Sean. I mean, you, you and I have talked a lot about, it. we spent an entire dinner um, at the GM's meetings talking only about the story and what stood out. It's, I mean, it's that's not the end. That's totally, that's totally see, true. I, mean, I wish there was like, I wish we had, we could break down the time we spent at that goofy restaurant, <laughs> that goofy place <laughs> on the pier in Palm Beach, wonderful. like hammering fish tacos. Like what percentage of that dinner between you and I was talking about the work that Haley and Katie did is solid. 90? I was going to say like 80, 80 or 85. Because we don't actually want to talk to talk each other. We talk about the key lime pie and whether or not we were going to split one. <laughs> Do we want to talk to each other about each other's <laughs> lives? What's going on? <laughs> Family stuff, no normal conversation, no baby. Work, other people's work, other people's work that is much better and much more important than ours. So yeah, I, it's just you know those are those are two people who who it's who it's an honor to work with, and I, I think I think we got a nice mm-hmm. nice nice taste of that. Yeah, if you haven't read it, I mean, I hope you as a listener go go check the story out follow it along and again i would encourage anybody to reach out to katie if you have mm-hmm. not just harvard experiences anything i mean this is i'm sure if it hasn't happened already this is um, you know these are stories that need to be told these these are reporters that are speaking truth to power and it's important work for us at the athletic and yeah those two are in it and they're in this story for the long haul um there's more coming and if you're interested in it, or if you like Haley or Katie, I would say to maybe tune in to NBC News tonight. There's something coming there on Tuesday night. How about that? Wow. How about that? Scoop. All right. <laughs> Big scoop. More importantly, segment three is coming up. This is the only good segment on the show. It's when we jump in the comments read everything you guys write whether it's positive or negative or neutral or what have you we take all of it to heart we love you all individually <laughs> no matter who you are before we do that though mm-hmm. i we something we wanted to get into in the first segment that we uh kind of ran ran out of time on because we wanted to get you to katie as quickly as possible because god knows that's what's important uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are in trouble. They are officially mm-hmm. out of a wild card spot uh, this morning after, oh boy, scoring one goal on a goaltender for the Ottawa Senators, whose name I cannot remember at the moment. Who is <laughs> who is starting his first his first NHL game? That kind of coupled with another win by the Florida Panthers has um has Florida in the in the number two spot behind behind the Islanders. In the Eastern Conference wildcard race. You know who called that, by the way, hmm. Sean? Who called the Florida Panthers at this point? Matthew Kachuk. Oh, yes. Flip-flop man himself. He said, hey, d- don't worry about it, folks. We're going to be fine in d- mid to late March. Everyone relax. 
Do you know cool. how good Sergey Bobrovsky has been over the last over the last little bit? We had to do we did one of our all thirty two, uh, you know, where all, all NHL mm-hmm. all thirty two things where we talked to ev- every every beat writer, some some national folks get in, where you know weigh in on 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 the on the topic at hand or the topic of the week. The one for over the weekend was which player has the most to prove down the stretch for a given team. And I said, Sergei Bobrovsky, which is, mm-hmm. you know, of course he always does. Cause that's what happens when you sign a $10 million, <laughs> $10 million contract. Um, and he's been fantastic. He's been, he's been really good. And it's after three months of being really bad and kind of putting the Panthers behind the eight ball with being, uh, certainly more average than you, than you need from a $10 million guy. So now he's warmed up. They've always been a good five-on-five team. The Penguins are well and truly in the tank after after this last road trip that they went on where they lost twice to the Rangers and now have, and came home, lost to the Senators. So they're in trouble. Um, and this is the first time really that I've thought, this is the most seriously I've given consideration to the idea that the playoff streak, which is at 16 years or whatever it is, is, is over. Because mm-hmm. that's a deeply flawed team. And all it was ever going to take was someone playing well behind them. And right now it's the Florida Panthers. So that's something to watch. I'm glad it's happening because we need it. We need meaning to these games over the next, over the next few weeks. And we got it. Yeah. Like this is it. Look, 16 years. This goes, like we only know you and I've only covered an NHL that has Sidney Crosby and the Penguins in the playoffs. Like that's, that's just mm-hmm. the right of the way it spring. goes. It's, I know people don't want to hear this, but it's not great that this team is, this is what's happening to the Penguins. It's just not like Sid, Sid needs to be on that stage. I, I, you know, I I think maybe it's the best thing for them, maybe in the short term to miss a year and have a wake up call that whatever patches are being put into place aren't working. Um, Yeah. But it's a flawed, it's a deep, it's a deeply flawed roster that, Shuffled yeah. a lot of stuff at the at the trade deadline and didn't improve in an, in any meaningful way, right? When you clear a bunch of cap space and add Michael Granlund, who's been completely ineffective. Jeff Carter got old; that's a big thing too. And now they have a bunch yeah. of injuries at defense. So their third pair last night was Taylor Fadoon and Mark Friedman, right? Where if you're in a playoff race, not a good, not a good, uh, not a good ball to be stuck behind. So. Fun, it'll, but like I said, man, it'll be interesting to watch. But also, if you're if you're a Penguins fan, I, I've how about this? I have never I've lived yeah. here for nearly all of my life, most of my adult life. I have never, never seen the fan base a full, half as angry about the direction of that team as they are right now. It's people are pissed. And part of that's because they're spoiled, and I don't I mean, even—I don't even say it. And also, I don't, Josh is riling them up. Josh Yoey with his I think, daily. I think Josh and Josh and sure, Josh, Josh, and, or Josh and Rob gas them up. Like, yeah, sure, but, a little bit. But that is also—that's <laughs> all. I'm telling you, that's also that those dudes know the temperature of the fan base better than anybody, and they can sense how pissed off these people are, and so can I. And people are like, you just anecdotally conversations I have with my friends or whatever, my family, people are mad. And part of it's because they've been spoiled over the last however many years, which is just part of the part of the way that it goes. But also, there is leg- there should be legitimate concern for the direction of this franchise over the next couple of years. In the last couple of years of Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin, and Chris Letang's uh, prime, because it doesn't seem like they have any. 
So you know who did make a significant move to get better at the trade deadline or mm. near the trade deadline? The New York Islanders. And everyone was like, "Why? What are they doing? They're going to get in." Yeah, I'd pick them. I'd pick them over the over the Penguins at this point for sure. I would too. All right, all right. Let's get to the questions. I feel like we're right. Um, Patrick G. I just wanted to say to Patrick G. Personally, welcome to the comment section, Patrick G. <laughs> yeah, writes, buddy. Eighteen months of looking. Eighteen months <laughs> searching, searching, and finally found the thread. So good job, Patrick. Um, Patrick also says it's a shame we can't get Craig on here consistently. I'll take low energy <laughs> Craig every week if it means he shows up for Tuesdays each week or each month. Shout out to producer Jeff, of course, the the brains behind. Craig, you're going to write another column on what books folks are reading. I loved that story. I was just we were just talking about that with somebody the other day. Um, no, to answer the question because <laughs> I don't write anymore. But fingers don't um, work. My fingers, as we know, but th- that was a fun thing. I might link that out. Farm so that one out. Catch up and farm that reading. one out to me. That's happening multiple times over the last few weeks. By the way, is like I've had an idea and been like, oh, Craig did that like four years ago. <laughs> the problem with that story was I it, I just said, hey, l- let me get a hundred book recommendations from people in hockey. Just sounded like a good number. I like to write things in headlines, oftentimes, and that's how. Yeah, and I like that. I can, I can promote that. <laughs> you know, it was Guess hard, what? like a pain me in the butt too. to do. <laughs> A hundred, hundred book wrecks. Like that's a lot of people to go to in hockey. I should have just said fifty. It would have been so much easier and not made any difference. You gotta go difference. with an uneven number. That's one of the that's one of the buzzfeed tips. That's kind of that's kind of hit. You should have gone like fifty one or something. Also, Michael D. We're a hit on the on the YouTube's. Um, we're not. Michael D. writes first time watching the Tuesday Boys on the Athletic Hockey Show on the YouTube. Um, the difference between Craig and Sean is amazing. Craig is more stone-faced than an Easter Island statue when Pierre talks. Meanwhile, Sean is a <laughs> bundle of endless energy. Um, it's Craig's are, Craig's it's because I'm paranoid. Craig. I'm so scared to leave the little skinny. You should see I, I, the Katie one. It's probably I'm like, I'm just frozen in time. That's all I'm thinking about. Don't leave the split screen. Craig is Craig is Perfectly a coward. Natural. Craig is a coward and I have impulse control problems. <laughs> That's it. You just disappear, like, like all of a sudden, be like, "Where's the person in screen three? It's a better experience um, when you're actually having a conversation than it is to like to th- than to converse with someone who's sitting up straight, like you know. You think sit, I made Pierre uncomfortable with how? Yeah, I do. Uh, he told me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a few comments about our. We wanted. We made a call to the NHL to change their combine, work in some actual hockey events. Um, Ryan W. said, I'll fall on the no thanks side of a combine style event for the NHL. Mm. I think the NFL version is pretty gross and a let's make these children run and jump around for free and pretend like it matters more than game footage while we schmooze corporate and media sponsors kind of way. Do you, would you want to respond to that, to Ryan W.? Ryan, that was a long comment and I kind of zoned out for part of it. Uh, Oh wow! Oh jeez! No, I'm, I'm just I'm just kidding. I because um, he disagrees with you. I'm joking. I I think um on that level, yeah, sure. Like I think I think the, do I think the NFL Combine is stupid? Yeah, sure. But a lot of the work of building buzz around a league and increase in increasing attention and you know building attention and whatever, a lot of that is stupid work. So we can sit here and laugh about you know whatever the nh the nfl schedule release 
dominating a week of the news cycle every every summer, but it works. It, like, yeah. and do I like do I do I personally care whether whether you know the NHL does a good job of marketing itself? No, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm not I'm not an NHL. Like, I'm not personally hurt that the NHL signed a deal with Fanatics, and I think it's stupid. Like, I'm not hurt on their behalf, right? I think that I think they're I think it underserves fans. I think I think fans miss out on it. I don't know that. So I so I kind of apply that same logic, I suppose, to um, the combine because whether you think it's stupid or not, whether you think the NFL combine is stupid, people love watching it. So I'm not trying to account for my taste. I'm trying to like pull it out and say that mm-hmm. there's something that that people it might not be my cup of tea to sit there and watch you know, Kalijah Clancy do the shuttle run or whatever at the NFL, at the NFL <laughs> combine, but a lot of people enjoy it and, it and it generates a lot of news and people care about it. So yeah, I, I like, I can see past my own sort of interests, I think on that one, but I get it. I get, I, also, get, I, I get why, I get why people don't like it. Like, of course, but more people like it than don't. And that's the point. And I think it, it draws attention to the people being drafted, the players being drafted. I think that's good. I think, I think it's fun when fans have opinion on who the team takes totally. and in the NHL. Like we're pretty informed and you get start getting in around two or whatever. And it's like, mm, I don't feel that think str- of like, all are fans feeling that strongly you, besides the diehards. If you pay any amount of attention to the NFL, think of all the players, like even in this past year, who a few weeks ago that you were introduced to via the, via the NFL combine. Do you think that many mm-hmm. people were watching Florida football games last year and realized that Anthony Richardson is a physical marvel who who should be taken in the top half of the first round of any draft he's in. No, you think the, the kid from Ohio State who's the the offensive tackle whose arms are ten feet long or whatever. People don't know who that is, but now whenever those guys do get drafted, like there's going to be a buzz around the selection on the day that it happens, and b right. people whose fan who's you know, fan uh, teams whose fans, you know, uh, the, oh my god, that was horrible. And who's B, what now? And B, and B, fa- B what? Fans of the teams that actually fans of the teams who actually take these guys are gonna be are, are gonna be immediately familiar with with their team's first round pick. That's not a bad yeah. thing. As corny as I think it is to sit there and obsess over you know vertical leaps and hand sizes and whatever else. Like, that's why we do this. Like, it's like it's fun mm-hmm. for a lot of people, <laughs> and that's reason enough to do it. Anyway, fanatics could put out like a card set of all the draft combine winners and losers, and you could buy them and trade them. <laughs> Philip, the fanatics I want wanna, official uh, NFL NHL draft combine hat. Combine hat. Struggling today. Philip R wants to trade Sean for Shayna. Yeah, how about based that? Based on Shayna's appearance, and then later on in the comments. I think it's uh, somebody else says, Chris no, we, let's trade Craig. Chris J wanted to trade me for and Futures, though. So, at least uh, you got to throw in a little something else for Shayna. I think we all can agree Shayna should be a regular. In fact, Tuesdays. Just trade both of us for her. How about that? That's the, that's the, that's the move <laughs> yeah, that, was, that wasn't discussed. <laughs> Kevin T. Uh, can we have more SGs saying the word seismic? Is that, am I saying that wrong? Seismic. Seismic? It's seismic. I don't Did know you say that seismic? It, I, I said seismic. I think that might be a regional thing. Anytime, no, you can't just, anytime you mispronounce something, 100%. it's not a regional it thing, Sean. 
Lancaster, or whatever you were trying to say. The Lancaster. 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 That's what people call it. That's a, pe- it's a regional some, thing. Yo, it, Lancaster hey, Hive, stand hey. up, reach out. That's how That's how no, they say it. Don't. I might just Sometimes be mispronouncing just mispronounce things. You are. Pick another question. I'm, I'm going I'm to look hey. into this. Sean, Kevin no, T. I'm, already, he, Kevin T. phonetically spelled it out for you. Kevin, I trust you. Also, it just means you read a lot, Sean, and you don't talk a lot. That's yeah, what that the, means. You're learning, you're learning the language through reading. Yeah, so that's, what, I, that's what I've been told my entire life when I've, when I've mispronounced the word. I get it. Yeah, I don't think there's an alternate pronunciation uh, here. That's just me making a mistake. There's okay, not. Fair enough. There's no regional. There's, there's not a bunch of <laughs> regional pronunciations. Southwestern Seismic. PA pronunciation of seismic. Of all the words. Jesse W. thinks uh, the Tuesday boys should just do the Vesna of the week. Oh, Monday does their Jack Adams winner of the week because all that matters is goalies, as we know, and we talked about at length. Mm-hmm. Allison H. writes, when you make your U.S. versus Canada teams, we're going to do that next time Pierre comes on, you need a neutral third party to decide the winner. You know, like a Swedish, Swedish, Swiss, Swedish, Swiss or mm-hmm. Finnish person. Swedish. Swinfish? It's a comment. <laughs> someone who's equal part Swedish, Finnish, and Swiss. We need to Swiss. end this podcast. We're just... We're Permanently. Like, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'd be down with that. I think we could get a get a, a Swede, get a Swede involved. Also, do we, how, do, how does future. Jesse... How does the Wednesday show not do the Vezina of the Week or whatever? It's, it's Jesse's, Jesse Jesse's thing. He's a goalie freak. A real goalie sicko. Yeah, leave that for him. Question for the future, real year 2000 vibes in the year 2000. In the year 2000. (laughs) You're going to go high with the second verse? In the year 2000. Which team should be the most disappointed (laughs) about making the playoffs as their shot at the crown now in the future is drastically less Mm. than what it was on trade deadline day? Think Nashville sneaking in last year to get steamrolled by the Avs because they have no goalie. They might hmm. be I mean, Nashville. I don't think it's out of <laughs> out of the question that uh that Nashville does it again. They're like all of I a sudden kind of relevant, but the good the good part for them is that they sold whatever, is that they sold whatever they could. But yeah, they they I mean they woke up the day. They woke up <laughs> My god, I'm a disaster today. They woke up today hmm. 5 points outside of a playoff spot, but with 3 games in hand on America's team. On America's, Can- America's Canadian team, the Winnipeg Jets, which like it's doable. It's not. It's not likely, but it, it's possible. So I'm going with Nashville I, again. Yeah, yeah. I think it is Nashville. I ran into uh, David Poyle at the GMs, and we were just chatting, and he was remarking, you know, like just how busy still is post deadline. And he's like, you know, we're in this playoff race. I'm like, mm, are you? Mm-hmm. And then I looked. He's right, dude. I I came back from Florida. Me and Dom, I flew back. I was, you know. Back really, really late on Wednesday night. Woke up. Thursday is always a long day. They got got to record and got to do power ranks and stuff. It's like the the long day uh, of the week for me. I hadn't really paid a ton of attention to the games and for the for the previous few days because of the GM meeting stuff. Me and Dom sit down to do power rankings, and he said something like about how you know basically the Preds like have a chance. And I I did I did the same thing. I was like, are you what we what time out? What happened? Yeah. It's, it's partially because the Jets have fallen apart, but whatever. 
But I think you, I mean, they weren't going to win it anyway. So that's like the best, best of both worlds. You got your, totally. you got your futures at the deadline. You get your playoff gate and then get steamrolled. There's by no, there's no whoever. player that they could, they could, could have conceivably moved at the deadline that they held on to, to their detriment, right? Like if they really want to yeah. hit the red button and trade, UC Saros or Roman Yossi or whatever, if, if that happens, any deal of that magnitude almost always is a summer deal anyway. Like they're not going to have less value, right. you know, in June than they do, than they do today. So yeah, hold off. You want to, you want to, you know, totally, totally detonate it down the road. That's fine. But they did the work that they needed to do. If only in the form of the Tanner Geno deal. Holy cow. Great deal. Um, all right. I, this is already going really long. So I think we can end with this one unless you see something. And there's a lot of comments and we appreciate everybody stepping up and mm-hmm. even the pre- people that were like disappointed in our lack of hockey analysis. I'm looking at you, Thomas F. Didn't like that we didn't dive in deep in hockey analysis in last week's episode. We appreciate everyone who uh, left a comment. Really good questions. Michael P. Um, had to pause the show to ask, is Vlad Tarasenko really a Hall of Famer? Honestly, had not considered this since his early career hype. And that's in reference to, we were talking about, oh, it really doesn't matter what you do at the trade deadline because your, your chances of winning a Stanley Cup isn't increased that much. much. And I kind of casually said the Rangers went out and got two Hall of Famers in Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. I think I was, it was a little, little bit hyperbolic to prove a point. But is Vlad Tarasenko a Hall of Famer, Sean? Did I misspeak? Uh, no, but I think he's right below the line. I think at this point, Probably not. He just he just lost too many prime years to to, to the shoulder issues and whatever. I think he's yeah. like I think he's like just under to me. But he's one of those guys that if I were in the room and and you and I was in there with whatever, if it's twenty years down the line and Jeremy Rutherford is making yeah. making the case for Vladimir Tarasenko in a in a Hall of Fame, you know, boardroom, I could probably be swayed. Like I I think I think I'm I think I'm I'm, I'm amenable on it like I feel like he's right below the line but it's not out of the realm of possibility that A he puts together a couple more good years to bolster the rep and B that you know that I couldn't be pushed uh, into the pro camp there yeah I, I probably I, I think he's I don't think he is um, so I, I would say I probably misspoke or I was just trying to make a point but you like, were, you, how many top 10 hyper, heart finishes do you think he has whatever. in his career? Like I, we, it's just the way people No, talk. I, I think I should be held accountable. <laughs> like he's not, he, he has no top 10 finishes in heart vote. Not that that, that matters. But, like, I, you know, you want your Hall of Famers to be the best of their era in, and maybe have a couple years where they were unquestionably mm-hmm. the best of their position or whatever. I mean, I, Hockey Hall of Fame, maybe that's a higher standard than the Hockey Hall of Fame currently has because there's certainly players that I don't did. fit that. But in my Hall of Fame... I don't think Tarasenko is. I think yet. if you like what I put Vladimir Tarasenko into my personal Hall of Fame, no. But there are a lot of guys who've gotten in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's a big tent hall at this point. Unless you're yeah, a, it is. unless you're unless you're a goaltender and then you're screwed. I don't know. I think I don't think I don't think he gets in. I don't think I would put him in, but I, I it's also not like some I don't think it's like a farcical, you know, claim to make either. He was great when the Blues won the oh, cup. Man, was he good? Just a tank was good. and everything. I think that's I think that's what it is. Shots like every game. Peak, so that, like I have that. Like, I picture Tarasenko in that run. Peak Peak Tarasenko was so good, so good. It was just short. Yeah. That's just like like tough tough luck. 
Are we done? Rob Pizzo, Mike. We're done. I was already going into the promos. Rob Pizzo, Mike Russo, and Jesse Granger. Welcome Matt Boldy to Minnesota Wild to the Wednesday Roundtable. Also, we mentioned YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at The Athletic Hockey Show. You can watch how much Sean likes to move around. I used to. I corrected. I overcorrected, some might say. <laughs> That's how you sit all the time now. It's, it sucks. At dinner. At dinner. Like, Is your neck okay? Move. Hey, what's I going on, buddy? Move. Yeah, like you're in a, okay, like you're in a, like you're in a brace. You're in a massage? <laughs> hey, great guest next week. The recently retired Brianna Decker is going to join us. Best. Excited about that one. And happy New Year, Sean. Great to, great to hang happy out with New you Year. last week. C plus. Hanging out? It was great. It was, it was okay. <laughs> Fish tacos are good. <laughs>